Thank you for downloading the African History and Politics Seminar, presented by the University of Oxford's African Studies Center and the History Faculty. Okay, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, it's always nice to um, come to Oxford. Um, as Nick said, this paper is taken from my recently completed doctoral thesis, which was titled Malawians in Colonial Salisbury, a Social History of Migration in Central Africa, circa 1920s to 1960s. Um, this research explored um, cultural and political movements and transnational identities, um, focusing on um, Malawian and Zimbabwean history. The reason why this is important is because Malawian migrants dominated the um, regional labour market um, during that period. Um, and so my thesis was a new and close study of northern immigration, particularly uh, focusing on um, Harare or colonial Salisbury. So in tracing the lives of Malawian or Nyasa migrants, I began to ask a number of questions about um, the movement ideas between uh, Nyasa land and southern Rhodesia. Um, and in particular, um, one of my chapters focused on this period um, in the 1950s, uh, the Central African Federation. So the title of my paper today is Pan-African Solidarity and the Central African Federation. The 1950s and 1960s were politically turbulent decades in Central and Southern Africa. In 1953, the Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland was officially declared, linking northern and southern Rhodesia and Nyasaland politically and economically. And I put a map up there just, um, just so that you can see, which most of you are familiar with the, uh, the geography of the region. Um, this move went against the wishes of the African majority, particularly in Nyasaland and northern Rhodesia. From the mid-1950s, nationalist sentiment grew stronger in opposition to the European minority-controlled federal government. And from 1956, African Congress parties increased the intensity and coordination of their campaigns throughout the Central African Federation. Popular support for nationalism in Central and Southern Africa was not widespread until the later 1950s and early 1960s. Previous political organisations had failed to unite across rural and urban divides and to transcend class differences. But by 1956, a new political force led by young, frustrated African intellectuals began to challenge the federal and settler governments of Central Africa. Collaboration between African Congress movements at the federal level was strengthened during these years, between 1956 and 1959, and this created anxiety amongst the settler community and colonial governors, and led the federal government to push for more decisive action to be taken against African nationalists in 1959. Events reached a turning point following the declaration of an emergency in 1959 in southern Rhodesia, and soon afterwards in Nyasaland. African Congress movements were banned and throughout the Federation, uh, throughout the Federation, sorry, and their leaders detained. So historians have examined the emergent nationalist movements in Nyasaland and in northern and southern Rhodesia. 
However, most analyses are limited to the linear progression of each movement in turn, rather than exploring the interconnections between them. David Birmingham and Terence Ranger took a more regional perspective when they considered the liberation struggles in southern and central Africa. However, there remains room for a more detailed investigation of the connections between the territorial movements in the Federation prior to the emergency in 1959 and afterwards in order to understand more about the roots of African nationalism in the region. The literature on Malawian nationalism in particular has underplayed the contribution made by men and women who were influenced by their experiences outside of Nyasaland. The importance of Nyasaland and later Malawian politics beyond the boundaries of the nation-state has largely been ignored by historians. African nationalists from Nyasaland, together with their northern Rhodesian counterparts, radicalized the more moderate nationalist movement in southern Rhodesia in the late 1950s. And Pan-African solidarities were important during the federation period. However, federal and colonial government repression also shaped the nationalist movements in the late 1950s. So to give you an idea um, of the outline of this paper, which seeks to um, complicate the nationalist histories of Malawian and, uh, Malawi and Zimbabwe, um, I'll begin with some background to the creation of federation. This paper will then trace the trajectories of African nationalism, highlighting events and key figures leading up to the 1959 emergency, and then conclusions will be drawn concerning the regional dynamics of African politics from the early 1950s until the mid-1960s. So your, your handouts, um, which hopefully all of you can see, um, just give you an idea of the, the structure of the paper and a, a sort of an idea of where I'm going. So to begin with, looking at the Federation and African politics prior to 1953, um, just to provide you with some context. The, con the concept of closer association between northern and southern Rhodesia and Nyasaland long predated the creation of the Central African Federation in 1953. In the early 1900s, Cecil Rhodes had envisaged a unification of the Rhodesias and plans for amalgamation were later considered by the Northern and Southern Rhodesian territorial governments in 1915, and again in the 1920s and the 1930s. Southern Rhodesian settlers were initially hesitant over proposals to amalgamate with what was known as the Black North, meaning the territories of, uh, north of the Zambezi, as the result of a more progressive African policy, African subjects under British protectorate status had, skilled had access to skilled occupations and a degree of political representation. Southern Rhodesia's African administration was more closely aligned with the South African policy of racial segregation. In 1938, the British sent the Bledisloe Commission to hear views from each of the territories in regard to plans for amalgamation. African representatives speaking on behalf of early political organizations 
outlined reasons for their oppositions to the plans. The Commission recommended that amalgamation in Central Africa should not be imposed against the will of the African majority. So why were Africans in Nyasaland so strongly against plans for amalgamation or federation? Well, chiefs in Nyasaland were fearful of further land alienation, particularly in the southern province where coffee, tobacco and cotton plantations had been established in the early years of the colonial administration. And entire African communities had been forced from their land. There were also concerns that amalgamation would lead to an increase in labour migration as it would guarantee the Rhodesian industries the supplies of labour they required, yet hold back the development of Nyasaland. Southern Rhodesia was generally viewed by Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesian Africans as a conquered country where the Africans have no voice. And common experiences of working and living in the settler colony shaped attitudes back in Nyasaland. The extension of Southern Rhodesian native policy would be detrimental to the social and political development of the African people in British Central Africa. And this was a particular worry for African elites in Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesia. In 1948, the British decided to reconsider proposals for uh, what was termed closer association in order to create a counterpoise to the new Africana nationalist government. In 1948, an official memorandum by the Colonial Office in 1951, it was declared that we should regard the federation of the three Central African territories as an essential measure for preventing non-British influences from the Union of South Africa from encroaching on and eventually engulfing British Central Africa. Following this uh, memorandum um, and further discussions, the Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland was established in 1953. Each territory retained control over domestic affairs such as land policy and education, while the federal government held jurisdiction over the external affairs of the three territories. The Federal Assembly in Salisbury included representatives from the settler communities, plus a small number of African seats in the federal parliament. Federation promised economic benefits and political partnership between the races, and this promise was the basis upon which Federation was sold to the international community at a time when African independence movements were beginning to gather pace. In reality, interpretations of the official policy of partnership varied greatly between the different parties involved. In the days Prior to Federation, African organisations in Nyasaland and Southern Rhodesia had begun to ally themselves against settler plans for amalgamation. The Southern Rhodesian Bantu Congress was formed partly in response to the widely contested Native Registration and Sedition Bills, which were devised during the Huggins administration in Southern Rhodesia in 1936. 
the Southern Rhodesian Bantu Congress was critical of moves towards federation. But after an initial period of activity, the movement remained inactive until the mid-1940s. The Reverend Thompson Samkangi was elected president of the Southern Rhodesian Bantu Congress in 1943, and it was hoped that his more national outlook would help revive the organization and bring together the grievances of rural and urban Africans. The organization's new aim was to create the first mass-based African political movement in southern Rhodesia. In Nyasaland, the first national organization was established in 1944, and similar to the Southern Rhodesian Bantu Congress, the idea was to bring together individual African associations from each district underneath one banner. The Nyasaland Congress was envisaged to become the mouthpiece of the Africans, and founding member James Frederick Sangala invited all Africans resident in Nyasaland to join the movement. Both Congress movements were keen to establish a, key, a broad and inclusive membership base, and they were inspired by the South African Native National Congress, later the ANC. Politically active Africans in southern Rhodesia worked closely alongside their Nyasaland colleagues in voicing their opposition to amalgamation. And in 1944, they even discussed the idea of creating a Central African Congress, linking the Bantu Congress with the emergent Congress movement in Nyasaland. However, hopes of establishing a Central African Congress at this stage soon faded when the Nyasaland Congress sent delegates to Southern Rhodesia and South Africa to establish external branches of their own organization. The move to convene separate meetings rather than encourage Nyasaland migrants to join the Southern Rhodesian organization was interpreted by Sam Kangi as a resurgence of the old enemy of the Africans, tribalism. <clears throat> Sam Kangi urged the leaders of the Nyasaland party to instead work towards a central inter-territory African Congress. And Dr. Hastings Kamuzu Banda, future uh, Prime Minister of Malawi, who at this stage was working in the UK as a GP and fighting plans against um, closer association on behalf of the Nyasaland Congress. Dr. Banda was in full agreement with Sam Kangi, and I quote from a, um, a letter that Dr. Dr. Banda wrote to the Bantu Mirror in 1945. We must think in terms of a central African nation rather than in terms of tribalism or even territories. Africans of Nyasaland in southern Rhodesia should not organize a separate political or industrial body from that organized by their brethren in the colony. They should wholeheartedly support the organization already in existence in southern Rhodesia. Nevertheless, the Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesian African Congress movements opened branches in Salisbury in 1946 and 1948, respectively. Charles Matinga, founding member of the Nyasaland Congress, traveled widely in South Africa and Southern Rhodesia to enlist financial and spiritual support, 
from Nyasaland migrants working in Cape Town, Johannesburg and Bulawayo. The movement soon spread to a number of urban and industrial centres throughout southern Rhodesia and South Africa in the 1940s and 50s. Congress branches were able to recruit members where large numbers of Nyasa migrants resided through the already established ethnic associations and burial and mutual aid societies. In terms of their financial contribution, the external branches proved to be a highly valuable asset to the Nyasaland Congress central office. By the 1950s, the Mashonaland and Johannesburg branches in particular had become a crucial source of financial support, particularly after Dr. Banda withdrew his personal contributions on disappearing to the Gold Coast in 1953. Opposition towards proposals for federation was less clearly articulated in southern Rhodesia than in Nyasaland or northern Rhodesia. Local political organisations were preoccupied with territorial concerns and continuing grievances related to the 1930 Land Apportionment Act and the 1946 Urban Areas Act. Joint meetings of the Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesian Congresses were held in Salisbury and attended by Southern Rhodesian Africans. However, much stronger feelings were expressed against Federation in Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesia. A statement from the Church of Central Africa Presbyterian um, outlined the feelings of ordinary Nyasaland Africans in the mid-1950s. The people may not be politically articulate or active, but they see federation making Nyasaland like Southern Rhodesia or South <coughs> Africa. Almost every family has at least one member who has worked there, they don't want that kind of white domination, race segregation and discrimination here. Chiefs in Nyasaland made their feelings known at a conference held in Lilongwe in 1952. A petition was signed by over 100 Nyasaland chiefs and they presented their objections to the Nyasaland government. And I quote again, Large numbers of our people have migrated to Southern Rhodesia and have worked there and have returned to Nyasaland. In Southern Rhodesia, they see the discrimination by, European by the European government and people against Africans, a discrimination which does not exist in Nyasaland. They have told others in Nyasaland of that discrimination. We fear that if we have closer association with Southern Rhodesia, that that discrimination will spread. Official discussions held in London in 1951 and throughout 1952 were boycotted by African delegates from Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesia. But Southern Rhodesian Afri African representatives accepted the invitation and sent delegates Joshua Nkomo and Jasper Savanu to attend the talks. Zimbabwean nationalist Nathan Chamuyarewa later recalled why Federation held more appeal with Africans in Southern Rhodesia during the first few years of the scheme. For most of the hitherto oppressed Southern Rhodesian Africans, the prospect of federation with the British protectorates of Northern Rhodesia and Nyasaland seemed full of promise. The new policy of partnership, 
would bring to a speedy end the segregation, humiliation and indignation. So Africans in the North feared the adoption of Southern Rhodesian policies in their territories, whereas Africans in Southern Rhodesia hoped that the more liberal policies of the Northern Territories would put pressure on the Southern Rhodesian government into breaking down some of the racial barriers in the South. In 1953, Harry Nkambula, leader of the Northern Rhodesian African Congress, arranged for a meeting of the three Congress movements to decide on a joint course of action. Stanley Samkangi attended on behalf of the Southern Rhodesian Congress, and unanimously they agreed to launch a campaign of civil disobedience and passive resistance. Demonstrations in Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesia included chiefs' resignations, non-cooperation with government officials, and the boycott of labor recruiters. In Southern Rhodesia, the campaign never really took off. Federal intelligence kept close surveillance over those in the North who were described in 1953 as fanatical in their insistence on full African rights. So in the first few years of Federation, Pan-African solidarity was evident, but the individual nationalist movements were divided and lacking the, the broad support base needed to pursue an effective political struggle. So moving on to part two then, to look at African nationalism uh, between 1956 and 1959. An emerging African middle class were important in stepping up the intensity of the anti-federation campaign in the mid-1950s. Nyasa Elias Mtapuka had been working in Salisbury since the 1940s. Mtapuka was particularly active in the Salisbury branch of the Nyasaland Congress in the early 1950s, and he worked as editor for the African newspaper African Weekly mixing with other educated and respectable Southern Rhodesian Africans, including prominent journalist Lawrence Bambe and political figure and editor of the Bantu Mirror, Jasper Savanu. Bambe described Mtapuka's highly political editorials as a source of great discomfort to the municipal and central government administrators, it was, as it was clear that they were written under the influence of the Nyasa Congress movement. Mtapuka travelled to London with a Congress delegation for the Federal, Com Federal Conference in 1952 and was monitored by Federal Intelligence agents from 1953 onwards. Mtapuka joined the Interracial Association in Salisbury in 1955 during a period of disillusionment with the Nyasaland Congress. In Salisbury, it was not uncommon to become involved with multiracial associations like the IRA or the Interracial Association or the Capricorn Africa Society. And in the mid-1950s, a number of politically conscious Africans looked to these multiracial societies as a means of improving their social mobility. Aaron Jatcha, previous secretary of the Southern Rhodesian Bantu Congress, who had encouraged both Congress movements to work more closely in the mid-1940s, also joined the Capricorn Africa Society in the 1950s. 
The Society held their annual convention in Salima along the shores of Lake Nyasa. Although, in contrast to the popularity of the multiracial organization in southern Rhodesia, few Nyasaland nationalists engaged with this type of multiracial politics. The term Capricorn was used in Nyasaland to, to refer to a sellout, a collaborator with colonialism, or the settlers of southern Rhodesia. The Salisbury City Youth League formed in 1955 and constituted a group of African intellectuals who had grown impatient with the existing conservative approaches to politics in southern Rhodesia. By the mid-1950s, the nature of urban politics was changing fast and Charles Mazengeli's reformed and industrial commercial workers' union failed to keep up with the demands of his young male supporters. The RICU, the Reformed and Industrial Commercial Workers' Union, and its members were discredited by the Youth League as white puppets. Um, I should just uh, explain for those of you who aren't familiar, the RICU was um, uh, an industrial workers' uh, organisation that was very popular in Salisbury in the, uh, from the mid-1940s until the early 1950s, um, until this point at which... Um, members became uh, frustrated with the, the lack of gains that they were making. So the City Youth League, uh, which um, replaced the RICU as the sort of dominant political organisation in Salisbury at this time, was an alliance of frustrated teachers, shopkeepers and white-collar workers. Founding members including James, included James Chikarema, George Nianduro, Paul Mashonga, and Dunduzu Chiziza from Nyasaland. Chiziza worked as a clerk in the Indian High Commission's office until he was deported from Salisbury in, back to Nyasaland in 1956. He was noted for his nationalist endeavours during his year of residence in Southern Rhodesia. And back in Nyasaland, Chiziza continued to play a pivotal role in bringing together the nationalist movements across territorial boundaries. The 1956 bus boycott organised by the Youth League was a violent demonstration which resulted in the biggest display of urban African protest seen since the 1948 general strike. Widespread participation in the boycott and a new kind of militancy seen with the tactics employed by the Youth League marked the beginning of a more radical phase in Southern Rhodesian African politics. In 1957, leaders of the Youth League transformed their organisation into a national movement by amalgamating with the Bulawayo-based Southern Rhodesian African National Congress movement which was relaunched under the leadership of Joshua Nkomo. This move brought the previously redundant Southern Rhodesian Congress more into line with its progressive African Congress sister movements in the region, meaning the Nyasaland, the South African and the Northern Rhodesian National Congresses. The new kind of militancy and changing momentum within Southern Rhodesian politics from 1956 
was described by Zimbabwean nationalist Ignatius Takaeza Chikwanderi as a result of the African Congress movements in the Northern Territories. And he says, there were quite a lot of examples in the neighboring countries of our federation. After all, some of the people who were responsible for forming the Youth League were from there. They started the Nyasaland African Congress, then the Malawi Congress Party, and then there were those from Zambia. They helped to create the kind of militants that were the basis of the Zimbabwean nationalist movement. So, back in Nyasaland, the central executive of the Nyasaland African Congress also enjoyed a renewal of its membership during this period around 1955-1956. Congress had been fairly inactive at the national level since 1953, but things began to change from 1955 when acts of defiance again became part of a coordinated programme of resistance. Flax Musipoli, the self-styled military general um, and a returned migrant worker from South Africa, had close, been closely involved with the South African ANC and the Defiance Campaign. Musipoli sought to employ similar tactics within his local Congress branch in Nyasaland. Henry Masoko Chipenberry became an active member of Nyasaland Congress in 1955, soon after his return from Fort Hare University in South Africa. By 1957, he was an executive figure in the organization and a member of the Nyasaland Legislative Council, along with Kanyama Chiume, who had recently returned from East Africa. Chiume studied education at Makerere University College in Uganda, and like Chippenberry and Musapoli, had also been active in politics during his stay abroad. So this new generation of nationalists very much transformed the Nyasaland Congress into a more popular and widespread <coughs> organization. Executive members including the, included the recent deportee from Southern Rhodesia, Dunduzu Chaviza, who I mentioned earlier, who was involved in the Salisbury City Youth League. And together, um, or collectively, these um, young uh, new members of Congress injected a new vigor into the central office of the Nyasaland African Congress. And they sought to radicalize African nationalism not only in Nyasaland, but throughout the Federation. In 1957, the federal government moved an intelligence officer to Nyasaland, stationed within the special branch, in order to keep a closer eye on events. Dr. Banda returned to Nyasaland in July 1958 to provide the movement with the strong leadership it had been lacking. He was greeted by a crowd of 3,000 supporters, demonstrating new levels of support for the nationalist organization. From 1958, the external branches of the Nyasaland and the Northern Rhodesian Congresses became an important channel through which African nationalist movements throughout the Federation coordinated their campaign. 
Combined meetings became more frequent and were arranged between the executive committees of all three Congress parties. In June 1958, a meeting of the Harari branch of the Nyasaland Congress was attended by over 500 people. Anti-Federation speeches were made and over £75 was collected. And the presence of George Nyandoro, who was a leader of the Southern Rhodesian African Congress at this time, was noted at this meeting by the Federal Security. Through the medium of singing, dancing and drumming, and some animated and impassioned speeches from key figures, the Nyasaland African Congress grabbed wide the attention of a wider section of African urban society. A meeting held at the Bashi Hall in August 1956 drew crowds of around 800 people, and the Bulawayo Chronicle described a roll of drums and thunderous shouts of Africa, Africa, and Wellington Mano Achiwa shouted to the crowds of Southern Rhodesian and Nyasaland Africans, when we succeed, we will help you too to become free. He appealed to local leaders to come forward and to lead their people. Have we no Nkrumah here? Have we no Gandhi? Have we no Moses? Come forward and lead your people. So moving on to look at um, Pan-African solidarity from 1958, members of the Northern and Southern Rhodesian and Nyasaland African Congress movements travelled to Accra and Ghana for the All-Africa People's Conference in 1958. African leaders gathered in Ghana from across the continent under the banner of Pan-African Unity, and it was decided that firm action should be taken to break up the Central African Federation. Dr. Banda was deliberately delayed on his return by the Nyasaland government, who were worried by the large crowds that might gather at Chileco Airport, um, at Chileco Blantyre Airport, at the weekend. The federal authorities forced Banda's, Banda's flight to stop in Salisbury, where he stayed for a couple of nights, and later he recounted his experience. My stay in Salisbury brought us and our people in southern Rhodesia together, and I don't mean the Nyasas. And I don't mean the Nyasas. Sorry, I've got something different written on here to what's on your slide. And I don't mean the Nyasaland Africans working in southern Rhodesia, but the Mishonas, Matabeles, and Makarangas gathered together. Incidentally, the authorities did a stupid thing. My stay in Salisbury proved to be a blessing in disguise. The Africans in Salisbury received me with such enthusiasm that even the Nyasas were a bit jealous. I stayed with the Southern Rhodesian Congress leaders, George Nianduro, the secretary of the Southern Rhodesian Congress himself, and he told his people that I was not only the leader of the Africans of Nyasaland, but also those of Southern Rhodesia, and that from Sunday onwards we would work together as a team. Shortly after his visit, Banda was prohibited from entering Southern and Northern Rhodesia under the Interterritorial Movement of Persons Act. He was described as a danger to the peace, having spoken violently against the so-called stupid federation on his last visit to Salisbury. The Harari branch of the Nyasaland African Congress 
their women's league gathered in Harare Township in protest. They declared their intention to unite in support of El Messiah Banda. A march in honour of Dr. Banda was arranged in Highfield, where Banda claimed that there had been crowds of up to 10,000 people listening to his address. The increased radicalism of the nationalists in the north, with their powerful anti-federation rhetoric, very much alarmed the federal administration. Federal intelligence revealed how African political figures in southern Rhodesia were aligning themselves more closely with their neighbours in the north. J.C. Malifa Anayasa was described by the Federal Intelligence and Security Board as a militant African nationalist whose activities as an executive of the African National Congress in southern Rhodesia have been noted by the security branch for the last five years. He is regarded as the driving force behind the Mashonaland branch of the Nyasaland African Congress, which is the most active branch in southern Rhodesia and gives considerable financial support to the central body in Nyasaland. Malifa is regarded as the leader of the Nyasas in this colony, and the danger of his continued residence here lies in his ability to incite Africans resident in this colony to follow the course of sub subversion dictated by African National Congress of Nyasaland. George Neodoro returned to southern Rhodesia after another visit to Nyasaland in 1958. He spoke to a meeting of the Harari branch of the Southern Rhodesian Congress and encouraged the formation of a women's league and a youth wing, just as they had done in Nyasaland. Chipambiri was banned from entering Southern Rhodesia only a week after Dr. Banda's restriction order was issued. The Interterritorial Congress meeting was postponed and relocated to Blantyre, yet federal restriction orders made it difficult to find a suitable location anywhere in the Central African Federation. By early 1959, the federal and territorial governments were anxious to prevent further contact between territorial Congress movements and avoid the damaging influence of the more radical Africans in the North on growing African political consciousness in the South. The Federal Immigration Act of 1954 gave wider powers to the government to restrict the movement of nationalists and confine activists to their own territories. In Nyasaland in 1958, a bill was passed to extend police powers following bitter debate in the Legislative Council. Dr. Banda challenged the government's restrictions against leaders of Congress when he addressed a crowd of 5,000 on the Palombe Plains in Malangi district. If Todd and Walensky can come to Nyasaland, why are we not allowed to meet for talks on politics? Congress leaders continue to busily coordinate their efforts and to build pressure on the federal government in face of increasing tensions. On the 24th of January 1959, an emergency meeting of the Nyasaland African Congress was convened in Blantyre, Nyasaland. The next day, the meeting moved to a private location near Limbe, where according to the unreliable testimony of the colonial authorities, the notorious massacre plot was hatched. 
The meeting became known as the Secret Bush Meeting, where nationalists devised their plan to kill Europeans in Nyasaland. African Congress officials denied the accusations, claiming they had in fact met to discuss plans in the event of Dr. Banda's arrest, which had been rumoured since his prohibition from southern Rhodesia. Funding was of primary concern at the meeting, as it was suggested that the Nyasaland African Congress would soon be banned in southern Rhodesia, meaning an end to donations and subscriptions from Nyasa migrants abroad. George Nianduro of the Southern Rhodesian Congress was again present at this particular meeting, having managed to evade government surveillance. Nianduro reportedly offered the full support of the Southern Rhodesian African National Congress, including, if necessary, the use of violence. Federal Prime Minister Roy Walensky informed his close advisers that they were expecting serious trouble in Nyasaland, and raised the matter at the Federal Prime Minister's meeting on the 19th of January, 1959. A plan was devised to send Federal and Southern Rhodesian troops to Nyasaland after they had secured the situation in Southern Rhodesia. Sir Edgar Whitehead, then Prime Minister of Southern Rhodesia, predicted that moving Federal troops to Nyasaland could provoke unrest elsewhere. Robert Armitage, the governor of Nyasaland, also warned of the possibility of joint action on behalf of the African Congresses. The federal government decided to preempt any violent protest by Congress members. Um, swift action in southern Rhodesia, Walensky felt, would clear the way for strong action to be taken against the more militant and dangerous nationalists in Nyasaland. In, Congress, in contrast to Nyasaland, the atmosphere in Salisbury and throughout the territory remained relatively calm. Nonetheless, on the 26th of February 1959, a state of emergency was declared in southern Rhodesia. The declaration came as a shock to Congress members. During the first wave of arrests, 495 people were rounded up by police and security forces. Um, these were members of um, all three of the Congress movements. African journalist Lawrence Bambe described the emergency as arriving like a bolt from the blue, and Congress leaders and members were rounded up and taken into detention. Walensky pushed for Whitehead to close the external branches of the Nyasaland Congress in southern Rhodesia in order to cut off their main source of funding. Ultimately, the emergency in southern Rhodesia was called to enable security forces to tackle the more radical Congress elements in Nyasaland without repercussions throughout the rest of the Federation. The Southern Rhodesian emergency allowed the federal government to weaken all three nationalist bases in Southern Rhodesia and the Northern Territories. The Unlawful Organisations Act was passed through hurriedly in Southern Rhodesia, banning all three Congress movements in the settler colony. And overnight, it became an offence for anyone to hold a membership card for any of the African Congress parties in Central Africa. 
Less than a week later, an emergency was declared in Nyasaland on the 3rd of March, 1959. The government aimed to stamp out Congress by arresting its hardcore members. Protests ensued at the arrests of local leaders, and the Nyasaland government called in support from the Federal Security Forces and the British South Africa Police in order to restore law and order. Over the course of a few days, there were a number of deaths and many casualties, which mostly occurred as a result of actions taken by troops and not in the course of any large-scale disturbances. Soldiers of the King's African Rifles and the Rhodesian African Rifles were deployed in three of the Nyasaland Congress stronghold districts. And a number of those arrested in Nyasaland were taken and held in southern Rhodesia but kept separately from the southern Rhodesian detainees. Nyasaland detainees arrested in southern Rhodesia were deported when they were no longer considered a threat by the authorities. Those arrested in Salisbury were mostly respectable middle-class Africans working, in, working as teachers, minister, or, uh, ministers and shopkeepers. Southern Rhodesian nationalists took a while to regroup following the 1959 emergency. Zimbabwean nationalist Chigwandiri described the impact of the emergency. Um, how are you doing for time? Ten minutes. Okay. Okay, so I'll hurriedly read through some of these quotes. Um, I think the ban came as a surprise to many people. It shattered quite a lot of people's hopes and it took a long time to recover from the ban. But I think it gave them time to think. The ban in Nyasaland resulted in the formation of the Malawi Congress Party, which later developed to lead Malawi to independence. Kaunda's Zambia National Congress was banned. He, also like, he was also, like Banda, brought to Rhodesia for their prison terms. And after that, it seemed like they were making some kind of headway. I suppose it gave the, pe the feeling to, to people in southern Rhodesia that there were also no exception. The National Democratic Party was formed in southern Rhodesia in January 1960, whereas the Malawi Congress Party had been up and running since September 1959. By March 1960, the MCP was described as a proper political party for hundreds of Nyasaland Africans, both in the protectorate and outside. Lengthier detentions were imposed on southern Rhodesian African leaders, and restrictive legislation made virtually all effective challenges to the settler regime illegal after 1959. The powers of the police in southern Rhodesia to search, seize and arrest at random were extended. The Preventative Detention Act meant that anyone suspected of involvement in subversive activities could be imprisoned. So, um, just to sort of recap then, after the emergency, the, um, those who were arrested in southern Rhodesia, southern Rhodesian nationalists, despite the fact there wasn't really any need to call an emergency, they were um, subjected to much um, harsher... Um, Uh, the, the sort of impact of the emergency was much longer uh, lasting, it was much more damaging uh, in, in delaying the formation of the um, preceding uh, political party. 
Um, whereas in Nyasaland, um, most of the leaders were um, released from prison and um, went back to Nyasaland and became involved in the Malawi Congress Party um, about a year after the emergency. The Nyasaland African Congress, prior to the emergency detentions, had become a far more popular and radical organisation than the Southern Rhodesian African National Congress. In Nyasaland, there were 47 branches of Congress, and Nyasaland's strongholds were Nyasaland Congress strongholds were in Blantyre, Limbe, Zomba, and Mashonaland. These offices, combined with other external branches in the Federation and <coughs> South Africa, um, provided a solid foundation on which the Malawi Congress Party could build. Okay, um. Salisbury experienced a great deal of unrest from 1960 onwards. Riots and demonstrations involved thousands of African men and women. The, Nyasaland Dem uh, sorry, the National Democratic Party was banned in December 1961 and was quickly replaced with the Zimbabwe African People's Union, which was prescribed in September the following year. The Zimbabwean nationalist movement suffered a major split in 1963 with the Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe African National Union and the People's Caretaker Council forming in August. ZANU broke away from those who remained loyal to ZAPU and finally Federation was dissolved in December 1963. The Malawi Congress Party was banned in Southern Rhodesia in 1964 and Dr. Banda as Prime Minister of Malawi, made no attempt to hide his dismay over the divisions in the Zimbabwean nationalist movement. Politics in Malawi also changed with the coming of independence and the strengthening of African nationalism through the project of state building. By 1960, Nyasaland was effectively becoming beginning a new course towards secession from federation, advanced by the Malawi Congress Party. African majority rule and self-governing status were achieved in 1963. Independence followed for Malawi and Zambia in 1964. In southern Rhodesia, the struggle for African independence was only just beginning as white settler politics swung in an increasingly racist direction. The feelings of many Africans in Southern Rhodesia at this time were aptly summarized in Drum Magazine from um, 1964, I think. Um, skipped a couple of quotes. So. Um, no matter how law-abiding the mass of Southern Rhodesian Africans may be, they cannot forget that Kenneth Kaunda and Hastings Banda have emerged from prison to be recognized as national leaders by the British government and they wonder whether Southern Rhodesia too must not embark upon a road of militant nationalism before the black man begins to share the good things in life. A period of open mass nationalism in Southern Rhodesia drew to a close in 1965, by which point racial tensions had dramatically worsened and the divide between European and African communities had become deeply entrenched. Ian Smith and the right-wing Rhodesian Front gradually tightened their control of Rhodesian society following the end of Federation in 1963. And in 1965, uh, 
with the illegal unilateral declaration of independence, the path to national liberation for Zimbabwe changed course entirely. So, um, to draw a few conclusions then, um, the formative years of African nationalism in the Central African region saw several attempts to establish more coherent political movements and, and one that transcended arbitrary colonial boundaries. The long history of migration from Nyasaland fostered the growth of a pan-African solidarity among early political leaders. African elites endeavoured to work across borders in building their opposition to federation and later in demanding freedom from white minority rule. Early attempts to create uh, an organisation which represented Africans throughout the region and not just at the territorial level were largely unsuccessful and the ideal of the Central African Congress was never truly realised. However, efforts towards this end became important again in the late 1950s. Individuals who moved, studied and worked outside of their territorial home built up good relations abroad and maintained crucial networks as they went. A number of African leaders recognised the strength in uniting all three Congress parties in their common struggle against Walensky and his so-called stupid federation. Pan-African sentiments were underlined at the high-level conference held by leaders of the three congresses in Lusaka in 1958. And a presidential report on the progress made by the Southern Rhodesian Congress since its revival in 1957 explained, the success of this conference marked the beginning of an interchange of information between the three congresses. Furthermore, it was decided that this level of cooperation must continue in order to coordinate one general policy of the Congress movement. Pan-African sentiments spread in the wake of Ghanaian independence and the All-African People's Conference in 1958. Nonetheless, the strength of Pan-Africanism was to be short-lived as repressive action taken by the federal state resolved to drive apart the territorial movements. Federation provided a strong rallying point for Central African nationalists. The leaders of the Nyasaland African Congress used Federation to politicise Africans on a wider scale. The early establishment of the Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesian African Congresses certainly influenced the development of African political organisation in southern Rhodesia. Federation came to assume greater significance in southern Rhodesian African politics, with the increasing degree of cooperation between the three territorial congresses. Connections between the congress movements were a growing concern for the colonial and settler governments during the Federation. Draconian measures were taken against Congress members during the 1959 emergency. Ultimately, nationalist politics in Central Africa was moulded by the repressive state responses to African movements as much as it was, as it was created by Africans themselves. Thank you.